Please join me in the prayer for illumination. Almighty God, you know all things and have set the universe in motion. Grant us your wisdom as we search for answers to our questions, we would discover your truth for our lives. We long for your wisdom that leads not to power or fortune, but to the wisdom that leads to faith and love. Give us the confidence to see your will in the midst of mystery. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Our scripture today is from the book of Acts. Then Paul stood in front of the Areopagus and said, Athenians, I see how extremely religious you are in every way. For as I went through the city and looked carefully at the objects of your worship, I found among them an altar with the inscription to an unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you the God who made the world and everything in it. He who is Lord of heaven and earth does not live in shrines made by human hands, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mortals life and breath and all things. From one ancestor he made all nations to inhabit the whole earth, and he allotted the times of their existence and the boundaries of the places where they would live so that they would search for God and perhaps grope for him and find him. Though indeed, he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. Since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the deity is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of mortals. So just to recap, we're in the fourth week of a four-week series on questions and answers, answering the tough questions of faith. We have um, uh, kind of been all across the waterfront with questions. We started out with um, a question about, does God hate my iPhone? Talking about faith and technology. Uh, we moved on to why do bad things happen to good people? Um, last week, um, all God, uh, do all dogs go to heaven? Kind of what does creation and faith and heaven have together? And then today, uh, we left the question actually blank. Um, originally before a little storm called Harvey, we were gonna uh, do social media and, and have a poll and take whatever question um, y'all picked. Uh, but instead, we put together a, um, a list of three and asked the youth to vote and decide. So I think um, one of the uh, questions we put to the youth was around war. So it was, what would Jesus go to war for? Um, the second one was about um, uh, gender and homosexuality and faith. Um, and instead they picked the third one, which was um, about uh, what does spiritual but not religious have to do with Christian faith? And so I'm thankful that um, the youth didn't pick the other two. Um, and so let's talk a little bit about spiritual but not religious. 
Uh, when we think about spiritual but not religious, it's a strange set of words that kind of fills up the mouth, but it is a, a kind of a cultural piece that's been evolving and coming since about the 60s. Um, if we look back in some of the scholarly articles, we get in the 60s, a particular gentleman was talking about changing landscape of religion and that there were folk who would identify as spiritual but not as religious. Um, as we moved into the 80s, the group that self-identifies this way uh, gets bigger and bigger, and then into 2010, it becomes a, a common word that's talked about by um, theologians, pastors, and sociologists of religion. This idea that people have found their place in being spiritual, and it's not been inside an organized uh, religion. Uh, spiritual but not religious is defined as individuals that self-identify with a life stance of spirituality that takes issue with organized religion as the sole or most valuable means of furthering growth. Um, spiritual but not religious, um, I have lots of slides all of a sudden, that's great. Um, it's not that they lack an ability to think about spirit or about religion or to struggle with deep issues about life, death, or the afterlife. But it's just they don't do it within the walls of organized religion. Our uh, pop culture is filled with references of spiritual but not religious. Um, I love that J.K. Rowling never once um, ascribed a religion or faith to Harry Potter, nor does she publicly claim her own. But if you have read the books, I, I didn't, I watched the movies, and so the numbering is strange because they divided the last one into two movies. But if you have seen the end, the resolution to Harry Potter, you gotta be blind not to see the kind of Christ figure and resurrection that happens. Spiritual but not religious. It's there but we don't talk about it. Um, the TV series Supernatural, the TV series Firefly, all of these have this movement of things that are spiritual, that are kind of connecting to the divine, that has this kind of uh, otherworldly experience. Um, if you're old like me, the original Star, Star Wars, right? When Yoda talks about the force, my goodness, if that's not a metaphor for religion and faith, I don't know what it is. You can see um, spiritual but not religious in more places than just sci-fi um, movies and fantasy books. Um, after every tragedy, if you're a newscaster worth your stuff, what do you say? Our hearts go out to you. I mean, it was just 10 years ago, it would have been, we're praying for you, but now we don't say we're praying for you because that's far too religious and closed-minded. We have to be spiritual and open-minded. But, but wouldn't you agree that that same uh, feeling, desire, and connection when tragedy happens that, that, that we express as prayer for someone is the same thing as our heart going out to them? Spiritual but not religious is this kind of uh, classification, this characterization that what happens inside organized religion is no longer helpful, that, that it's too uh, rigid, that it's too frozen, uh, that what happens inside the church um, it, it is antithetical to what life needs to be about. And it's a fascinating conversation. Um, you know, you'll find if you look at the demographic studies um, that the largest growing group in the American religious landscape, largest growing group, are the nuns. No, not women wearing black and white that don't get married and are part of the Catholic Church. No, not N-U-N-S, but N-O-N-E-S. The largest growing group in the religious landscape of America. 
It's folk who have either never grown up with faith in their life, and so they don't know what the purpose of being part of a church is, or they grew up in the church, and it was so unsatisfying that it didn't really help them in their life project or purpose that they no longer see a value of going back to church. The nuns, it's a fascinating group of folk. Now, I'd be willing to say that even in the midst of spiritual but not religious folk, there is still something in all of us that when you see the beauty of nature, there's that gasp and awe. That when we see tragedy happen, that we feel compassion and want to sacrifice and care. That there is inside of us the same stuff that seeks redemption, that is amazed at the divine, and that wants to see community happen in our world. It happens inside the walls of the church with organized religion, and it happens outside with spiritual but not religious folk as well. When we look at our scripture passage today, the the verse right before the one that Aubrey read, um, I I didn't clue into this until I was writing, Um, it, it says that now all the Athenians and the foreigners living among them spent their time in nothing other than trying either to say or to hear something novel. We know nothing about this, right? A culture that's geared for the next best thing. So in the Roman uh, Empire, if you wanted to go someplace where the hip people were, you went to Athens. It was the place where scholarship was. It was the place where the nouveau rich were. It was the place that when togas came out, Athens had them first. You could say it was the Seattle of its day, or the Paris, London, you decide. But it was the place where novelty and sizzle was so much more important than steak. And so Paul, uh, his call is to uh, tell the gospel to folk who are Gentiles or people who are outside the synagogue walls, people who hadn't heard anything about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He goes to Athens because, hey, if you're going to go fishing, go where the fish are. And so he shows up in Athens, and Athens has a particular uh, square in the city where it is lined with statue after statue after statue of all the gods that were part of the Roman or Greek experience. There was a statue for everything. And at the bottom of each statue, there was a plaque that told you who that statue, uh, what, what god that statue represented. And so as Paul is living in the city, thinking about how best to do evangelism, he walks through the square and he realizes that the Athenians have done such a good job of making statues for every god that they have made a statue to the unknown god. It says on the plaque, the unknown god. Now, the scholarship's a little bit split here. Some scholars believe that um, the Athenians in their great um, desire for innovation also knew the value of wearing a belt and suspenders at the same time. And so they had made the statue to the unknown God just to cover their bases because you never know which one's going to come back and get you. And this way, if they didn't cover their bases, they go, well, hey, here it is. We meant this for you. We just hadn't named it yet. 
Other parts of scholarship say that the Athenians were so interested in what was next that the unknown God left them a place because the rest of the gods might not have been satisfying. They might not have measured up. And so they were hoping that someday there would be one that would. So Paul, in the midst of his missionary journey, he speaks to the people there on the square who have gathered to talk about philosophy and religion. And he says, I know the name of the unknown God. Now there's something really beautiful about this moment because Paul, as um, a Pharisee, as a a teacher of the law, as a, a rabbi in the Jewish faith, he knows that uh, Judaism on the world stage has been thought of as an Eastern mysticism religion because Jews will not intone the name of God, that Hebrew Yahweh name, they will not say out of great respect for God. And so in some ways people know Jews as being those who serve the unnamed God. And so Paul says to the people assembled, I know the name of the unknown God. He's the same God who has created all that we see. He's the same God who has redeemed us from our flaws. It's the same God that sustains us and provides for us throughout our lives. The name of the unknown God. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's the God of uh, Joseph and Mary. It is the God of Peter and James and John and Paul and Silas. I know the name of the unknown God. I think we have a lot in common with Athenians. I think in some ways we are geared up for what's next. We are geared up for what's new. And at the same moment, we have terrified consciences that are willing to spiritually wear a belt and suspenders to keep things all safe and tidy just in case. Uh, We are folk who have been moving further and further away from organized religion. We have uh, found ourselves um, uh, recognizing the power of the unknown God. Uh, You know, think about what do you put your faith in? Well, I put my faith in the stock market. I put my faith in the Republican Party. I, I put my faith in HGTV, whatever it is. We've got our things that we're religious about. Thinking about, um, Uh, If you'll go two more slides for me, Jake, one more. Um, When we think about what faith looks like in the world around us, uh, Robert uh, Wuthnow um, uh, wrote a book in the 80s. It was research around um, faith and religion and culture. And he found that everybody seemed to have their own brand of faith, that that the idea of being part of um, huge, monolithic, organized religions was slowly fading away. And so he quotes Sheila Larson, um, a uh, single mother, um, a nurse who worked night shift, um, about her faith connection. And Sheila says, I believe in God. I'm not a religious fanatic. I can't remember the last time I went to church. My faith has carried me a long way. It's Sheilaism. Just my own little voice. It's just try to love yourself and be gentle with yourself. You know, I guess take care of each other. I think he would want us to take care of each other. What we find is that spiritual but not religious, it gets its birth out of a church that's doubled down on things that are no longer satisfying to the world outside. 
You see, we've put in our stock and things that haven't helped us be vital and um, connected um, and redemptive. When you poll folk outside the church about people inside the church, you learn four things. Um, that people outside the church think that we are hypocritical, that we are judgmental, that we are anti-gay, and that we are all about money. You see that wiring inside of us uh, to see beauty, to long for redemption, to search out community. It doesn't go away if you're spiritual, but not religious. But for some reason, within the walls of the church, we've become rigid and unflexible. We've traded this desire for beauty, longing for redemption, and search for community for things like membership status and um, pledge cards and buildings. But the institutions sometimes have a hard time carrying and connecting with the movement and the connection with divine. Uh, uh, John Wesley began not an institution, but a movement, a revival, a place in which people um, heard the gospel. Uh, John Wesley said that uh, those who uh, uh, come to the, West, uh, to the Methodist class meetings, they're those who are willing to flee the wrath to come, that they desired something deeper and more beautiful. I wonder, friends, in the midst of a culture that is quickly disavowing the faith, quickly um, uh, being the people who our hearts go out to you instead of prayer. Um, I heard on one newscast, you know, if you're the praying type, you should pray. Well, are there praying types and not praying types? I thought we all longed for, for something out there to care and take care of us. I wonder if in our culture here in America, that we might be a lot like the Athenians, more than we want to admit in public. And, and both sides, I, I wonder if we have become uh, the, the kind of church and organized religion where we have doubled down. We have uh, wore the belt and the suspenders. We are trying to guard against change. We are willing to, um, to read the King James. We are willing to only sing out of the hymnal. We are willing to only invite people to join that look like us and act like us and live near us. I wonder if that rigidity of trying to protect the faith from the change that might come has just boxed us out of being a part of what God's doing. Now, I'm not saying that we should sell it all and become spiritual but not religious, have yoga classes and, um, you know, uh, become Unitarians. Uh, Unitarians are wonderful, but you know how they begin their prayer? They say, to whom it may concern. You'll get that in the parking lot. Um, <laughs> I'm not saying that we should throw everything to the wind and give away our birthright. But is there something powerful in being able to leave a little bit of open space and opportunity to be less pharisaical, being concerned about purity and right and wrong? And could it be more helpful for us to name the unknown God. That all of us, uh, when we see a sunset or a sunrise, gasp in awe at the beauty. Could it be helpful if we find more of what we have in common with spiritual but not religious? So that we might build a relationship, so that we might see that we have more in common than we don't. 
so that when the time is right, we could name for them the unknown God that they've been longing for. Let's be honest, the God that we've been longing for as well. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God that came in the flesh in Jesus. The God of Pentecost and the Holy Spirit. The God of creation, redemption, and community. The assumption that our walls are helpful may be flawed. Maybe what we need is a bridge, an opening, an opportunity to span the gap between spiritual but not religious so that we all might become faithful. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.